there, romance nerds. We might be ancient, creaking adults with one foot in the grave, but we're young at heart today with our exploration into young adult romance. Let's dive right in. No, we're not dead. No, we're not. No, no, no. Music. Hey there, romance nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romancelandia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Hey, Jen and Maddie. Why is Effie Trinket's hair so big? Is it full of secrets? Yes. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> well, thank you for that terrible attempt, Jackie. Oh boy. (laughs) And welcome back to everybody else to another episode of Raging Romantics. They have not fired us yet, folks. Jackie and I are still very excited to be here. Thank you, as always, to Northern Onondaga Public Library for keeping us employed and talking about all things romance. And we are especially thrilled today to have a special guest on the podcast, Nopal's newest intern, Maddie. Huzzah. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself maddie yeah i am a current library and information science student at syracuse university so just down south of nopal ah. and i am focusing on public librarianship it's the best kind so i'm really excited to be to be working at nopal and to be helping out on the podcast <gasps> and stuff. we are really excited to have you Thank you so much. We thought it would be really fun to switch it up a little bit today, get some fresh voices on the podcast, since I'm sure you're tired of me talking so loudly into the mic, Jackie. Just Jen, not <laughs> So thank you for being here today, Maddie, because I probably would not have agreed to talk about young adult romance otherwise. I was a teen librarian for a little bit, so I was well informed then, but after moving on, I just, I lost a lot of interest in YA. Sorry. Uh, I'm not bashing the genre. It just, it felt like I was ready to move on. So... What about you guys? What is your relationship with YA being that we're very old adults? Yeah, I just got an invitation to my 10-year high school reunion today, <laughs> so I am feeling especially so ancient. I know, it's really painful. Um, but yeah, I grew up at a very in, like influential time in the YA genre, mm. especially like YA romance and like Twilight and all that. I was in middle school when Twilight came out, mm. and so then I went through high school with the craze of the Hunger Games and Twilight and Divergent and all those and them all being adapted and things like John Green and Fault in Our Stars all really come to, to mind. Um, and yeah, so that was a very just formative time in my life where I was reading a ton of YA and it was kind of the big boom of YA and a lot of the the craze of it really aligned with what I was interested in reading and my reading habits at the time. So I read kind of everything at that time um so a lot of my YA touch points are very set in the early mid 2010s um some late aughts whatnot um but and I've I've sprinkled a little bit in since then because I I do really love it I think it is very fun and I feel like a lot of the like more magical and fantasy stuff like a lot of the good fantasy is really in the YA area um so yeah I've, I've read a ton of YA as a fantasy reader <laughs> um I too especially like I still like to read YA fantasy I obviously like a little bit of spice so that's not so much in YA it depends I guess um but I also grew up as we all know from the vampire episodes I was a twy hard we all know this I was team Jacob uh yeah I was that person <laughs> but uh yeah so I, I don't read it so much anymore just because, I don't know, sometimes I have a hard time with the writing mm-hmm. and just, like, the characters. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so old. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's still, it's still fun. I feel like for me, it was – I don't really remember specific books too much when I was younger and really reading it back then when I was an actual teen. But I still remember that that special feeling of, like, oh, I get to go to the teen area now. It was like this special kind of area in the library. It was away from the children's. It was like I've arrived, even though I was already reading romance at sixth grade. Like, (laughs) it really should not have been that big of a deal. But it did feel really like, oh, yeah, I'm reading these really cool, more serious books. So I I remember that feeling more than I remember any specific books, if that makes sense to you guys. I also feel like 
they make teen rooms so exciting mm. in libraries and in bookstores. It's just like colorful and so Manlius Library, which is the library that I grew up with going to, they of course painted it that lime green that like all teen rooms have been painted since like two thousand five. Nickelodeon's yes. lime green. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like Jen said, it was super fun to go to. And I think I maybe carried that into be being an adult librarian because now I'm like making the adult <laughs> fiction section super fun. <laughs> Hopefully the adults are okay with that. They have to be. <laughs> So we like to start at the beginning here at Raging Romantics. Can you talk a little bit about what young adult fiction actually is and how it got its start? Yeah, definitely. So the the definition that I found kind of looking into this is young adult fiction, also Mm -hmm. called YA, is a category of fiction written for readers from ages 12 to 18. Um, And it kind of developed as a transition between children's books and adult literature to kind Mm -hmm. of fill that space that maybe wasn't being... um, that, that population that wasn't being mm-hmm. served by current fiction. Um, but even though it is intended for adolescents, like a lot of studies and things have shown that half of the YA readers are actually adults, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And I think is a reason why it's interesting to talk about it. I think it is. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. I still read YA. I, I read a lot more YA leading up to this podcast just to kind of see the more mm-hmm. like recent stuff that was out. But uh, I think a lot of people still read YA and I don't think they're, I mean, I'm sure some people still have a stigma around it or mm-hmm. think it's weird, but I don't think it's much as, as weird much as, as it, it was used to be. I definitely remember all the think pieces that used to come out of yeah. like, why can't adults read adult books? <laughs> don't read YA. But, you know, we've already kind of established between the three of us. There's a lot of heavy nostalgia related yeah. to YA. So I, yep. I get why adults are still reading it. You saying that, I do kind of wonder if I called my mother up, like, was she reading YA, you know, when I was, I, I do wonder if it's more of a, a recent yeah. change and a recent shift. I think, yeah, and I have some some notes on this for later, but mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it's kind of like Harry Potter and no. stuff, like, instilled with this, this love mm-hmm. of reading, and like you said, the nostalgia, no. it, it's led people to really kind of gravitate towards those books, and especially fantasy and things. Mm-hmm. What was your guys' favorite YA series? growing up I'll go first mine was Bloody Jack by L.A. Meyer I love that series so it's about a girl who uh, during the Regency period Napoleonic Wars um, she disguises herself as a boy to sneak away on a on a British Navy ship and she falls in love and it's like her entire life story all the way from being 11 years old up until I think it ends when she's like mid-20s and she has all of these adventures and of course her name was Jackie so I was like it's me (laughs) there was this Daughters of the Moon series (gasps) wait I read that oh it was so good yes I just the covers whatever reason got it and then like this cool fantasy it was so good it was the different powers mm -hmm. Yeah, they were these women. They were almost like witches, but I don't, they didn't use the word witches. But no. they were powered by the moon to get these really amazing powers, like invisibility, time oh, turning. Yeah. Yeah, and like there was this evil group of bad boys. And yeah, yeah. Mm, daughters in the moon. <laughs> I read that. Though I loved them so much, I did probably all of my projects around them, <laughs> which is really weird. Like we had to do these extra credit, like, oh, write a newspaper set in this world. So I did like Daughters of the Moon Times, oh, wow. like very embarrassing to talk about now at 31. <laughs> It explains your uh, obsession with paranormal. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the little baby seeds. Because actually, I'm sure if I read those today, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of the Sherilyn Kenyon stuff I love. Like, just prepping me. This is the foundation. Yeah, yeah. And the t- the covers were really nice. They were Not so just, good. And, which was weird because it was just people in, like, fancy dresses. But no, they had the wind, like, Yeah, because they looked colorful. You know what it was? Yeah. Like, thinking back, I think because they had their faces and they all looked really powerful to me. Yeah. Like, yes, they were still in the party dresses and they had, like, the crazy makeup. And you could argue it was, like, a Gossip Girl kind of um, offshoot. But, no, they looked really powerful to me. And I, I would keep checking them to make sure I had the right faces in my mind. I, the covers were a big appeal. And they had the beautiful black strip uh, with the vivid picture. Oh, like, I will never forget those covers. <laughs> it was a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I read a ton of Meg Cabot. Oh, on, yeah. That was definitely a go-to. I didn't actually read The Princess Diaries until much mm-hmm. later. Um, I, I read a lot of her teen books, so I think for a series, her mediator series. Which oh, had, yeah. Like, eight or 12 or something. Mm-hmm. They had quite a few. Um, 
I, I love those books. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she, which is kind of paranormal. She's a mediator. She can see ghosts and things. Mm-hmm. And then also very romantic because she's mm-hmm. in love with the ghost, yeah. Jesse that like lives in her I house. I about that series. Yeah. I, I can yell loud. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really interesting to me though. Like, yeah, there's so much nostalgia and so much, like yeah. I loved that so much and I reread them and we mm-hmm. all have and. Just like the smiles it all brought to our face. Yeah. There's something really powerful about that. And I think that's a huge reason why, yeah, 50% of adults are still reading YA. Yeah, I used to reread Harry Potter mm-hmm. every couple years up until yeah, the, yeah. some reason. <laughs> the bad time. <laughs> the reason that will not be named. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have read myself that The Outsiders were the first YA book. Is that actually true? Yeah, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or like the first. I think the author said something like it wasn't deliberate. Correct me if I'm wrong please I'm not I don't know why I'm talking for you but okay was the outsiders the actual first YA book ever like back in the 60s so it was one of the first like really popular ones but it was not the first oh <gasps> no <laughs> at least that's what that's what my research found um so I found that um there was a category mm-hmm. young adult um as far that was named that as far back as 1802. Oh, oh that, so okay. This was um, an author, Sarah Trimmer. She described young adulthood as a period lasting from ages 14 to 21. Mm. And she had these books for children, children under 14, and books for young persons, ages 14 to 21. Um, listed in her children's literature periodical, The Guardian of Education. That's kind of one of the first mm-hmm. findings of that that term, and kind of someone saying hey this is a population that maybe could have their own kind of groupings of books Mm -hmm. and could be served by a specific kind of literature and specific kind of themes Mm -hmm. um so the the reader group was identified way back then in 1802 but they weren't really accepted as their own genre for quite some time um but there were some early examples of of other books that even if they weren't like specifically written for adolescents and for this genre they were books that really did speak to the YA population mm-hmm. and were very popular around young people. So things like Laura Ingle Wilder's Little House books. Oh, yeah. Those are really an early example. So mm-hmm. those are written from 1932 to 1943. So that's a really early example. Um, I also wonder, too, we talked in last month's episode, the retellings about Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. The one that was plagiarized in 1757 (laughs) was specifically marketed for young girls and that was like in the title it was like lessons for young girls yeah so then there were also i actually don't know how to pronounce this we might have to cut this and try again the um oh bad german accent i can do it (laughs) (sighs) my bad german accent is expected by this point the it's the heinlein right heinlein yeah i think heinlein juveniles series by robert Heinlein, Henlin, Hen- Heinlein. I should know this because this is literally like Heinlein. how my last name is spelled. <laughs> but um, yeah, those are science fiction novels that were published between 1947 and 1958 that mm-hmm. were also very geared towards adolescence. And then can't talk about YA without talking about Catcher in the Rye. Obviously. By oh, yeah. Salinger, and that's 1951. So mm-hmm. not like it's written for adults, but it has a lot of popular adolescent themes, a lot of things that are really now popular in YA literature, like like the angst mm-hmm. and alienation and things like that. Um, and then A Wrinkle in Time, also 1962. So I guess it's the difference with The Outsiders. Like you said, it's kind of one of the first YA novels that were not necessarily like this nicely neat wrapped lesson because like the outsiders it obviously does not have like the best ending it's very angsty it's very like what is the point sometimes is that why it's maybe referenced to being like oh this is the first that we would consider like for our own genre i think part of it was the popularity um Mm -hmm. and part of it was also kind of the modern idea of the genre beginning to solidify in the 60s and so because of that the outsiders just is like thought of as this this shining example of it mm-hmm. because I think even though Catcher in the Rye came just before it a couple of years oh no 10 years ten, almost I can't do math <laughs> 1951 <laughs> before 1967 so so over 10 years mm-hmm. um I'm a librarian I don't have to do math <laughs> um it's library science not math science <laughs> um and so like but it was written as like adult literature and mm-hmm. it was considered kind of more highfalutin I suppose <laughs> um so it wasn't really considered as for young adults even Mm -hmm. though it really did speak to them so I think with the outsiders because it is all like you said a lot more of the Mm -hmm. themes and characters and really is kind of aimed towards young adults I think it more solidified the genre there it feels like it's more applicable to to today 
Because, like, yeah. Little House on the Prairie, there's reasons we can't really yeah. uphold that as much anymore. But unless there's something in The Outsiders I'm forgetting, it's still pretty universal. I have not read it since the eighth grade. Yeah, don't so quote I, us. I don't remember. Don't quote us if it's been canceled. Don't, that, yeah. <laughs> don't get mad at us. But it is still one of the best-selling okay. YA novels. So yeah. I, I would hope mm-hmm. that that stands for something. And yeah, there's a lot of important YA works published in the 60s and 70s. Some of these I've heard of, some of these I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. uh, The Friends by Rosa Guy, The Bell Jar by mm-hmm. Sylvia Plath, uh, Bless the Beast and Children by Glendon Swarthot, mm-hmm. and Death Watch by Rob White. So these are all mm-hmm. a lot of different works that kind of started to solidify the genre mm-hmm. as being this. These are specific books that are kind of spe- have these certain kind of themes that mm-hmm. we've identified for young adults. And um, we're going to kind of market towards them mm-hmm. and be their own thing. So this might be a stupid question. Is there, what are the benefits to young adults having a genre that is written with them in mind? I think there's a lot of benefits on the back end for like mm-hmm. libraries and booksellers. Oh, okay. Um, so people are <laughs> able. Very financial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people are able to, to more specificity in marketing and mm-hmm. in outreach, you're able to identify that these books are for these people and i think it's a better way to engage them so is capitalism perhaps (laughs) i don't know yeah part of this is like as these books are being written more for young adults they become their own market and become distinct sections in their own genre um and i think it's a better way to identify books that have those themes and things that young adults will will enjoy also i think if we're if we look at young adult the world of young adult today which obviously you will get to in a little a little while um there's a lot going on right now with book bans and what is quote unquote appropriate. I hate that word. (laughs) Obviously as romance readers, we don't like the word appropriate. Um, But I think that the, the onset of the young adult, if we look at like what's going on in a larger period of history in the fifties and sixties, if we look at what's going on in the publishing world as a whole. um, And if we look at what's going on in, especially Western culture as a whole. There's a lot about morality. You know, as we move into the 70s and 80s, we have the satanic panic with youths, like, listening to materials. I'm listening to a podcast right now that's all about it. It's fascinating. Um, And I think that, really, if we look outside of the marketing, that the onset of realizing there's a whole area of readers that are looking for books that are, quote-unquote, more appropriate for them in the fact that it's got characters that are their age that are going through what they're going through I think that that really also plays a very heavy role into why YA got so popular yeah absolutely yeah teens read too yeah absolutely (laughs) and then uh we can't talk about YA and the start of YA and the popularization that's the the popularization of YA uh, without talking about Harry Potter. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, 1997, J.K.R. Mm-hmm. releases Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone mm-hmm. in the U.K. and later Sorcerer's Stone mm-hmm. in, Here. in the U.S. And it's considered both youth and young adults. Some of the earlier ones are a bit more youth. Mm-hmm. And then they, they tend to have more mature themes yeah. and kind of become more YA throughout the series. And that captured this whole new audience and kind of revived the genre in a way that, like, adults were reading. That's true. Harry Potter like everyone was reading Harry Potter and Mm -hmm. so I think that created a lot of nostalgia for reading and these things that like just kind of kept the Mm -hmm. the YA genre going that's interesting I would not have compared those two together YA and Harry Potter because you're right those beginning books are yeah we put them in the J section here at the library and it's not till Goblet of Fire like Phoenix that we start thinking oh we should put these in YA it's kind of dark it gets kind of serious a lot of people die yeah Oh, yeah, a lot more kissing. <laughs> yeah, the sixth book is mostly like a mm-hmm. high school drama. Yeah. Like, there's not, like, a big kind of overarching mystery. I mean, there is with, like, the half Prince stuff, but it's all happening at the school with just kind of school happening and, mm-hmm. like, school dramas. So that one's very YA. So, yeah, I would say, like, four, five, six, and seven are, are pretty YA. Mm-hmm. And so from there, the, the YA genre has become quite expansive, and there's a lot of genres that are uh, within young adult literature. Mm-hmm. So there's like contemporary, which is more realistic, and then there's fantasy, sci-fi, mystery. I would also include a lot of graphic novels and manga in there. Oh, that was a big thing. romance. Yeah. <gasps> hey, romance on a romance podcast. So I want to say that it feels like YA romance has a very special place in YA genre. Like, obviously, there's lots of history YA and lots of, like, I'm seeing a lot of true crime kind of YA, but romance feels like probably the bigger subgenre. Am I am I correct in that assumption? Is there I, a bigger one? I think that's true because I think things that 
maybe not everyone would even consider YA romance has a lot of romance oh, aspects it. to it because I think that's just a very crucial part of like adolescence. Mm-hmm. I, I think when when you're going through adolescence, like your relationships mm-hmm. and like the people you're interested in and in love, hormones, and hormones. Oh my absolutely. god, so many hormones. So I I think romance is just always a very crucial part of most YA stories, even mm-hmm. if it's not the focal point. So I I think there are a lot of stories that can be grouped under YA romance, even if they're not really like. Mm-hmm. I think The Hunger Games is a great example of yeah. That. Like, a lot of it became about the love triangle and things like that, but that's really not a romance story. It's not the point. <laughs> but there's romance in it, and it kind of gets grouped into this, like, YA dystopian romance mm-hmm. genre of all these romances that became really popular. I feel kind of bad for The Hunger Games, because it felt like all of their messages ended up just being about Katniss versus Peeta versus Gale. Like, yeah, I think that's the Twilight... Twilight oh, yeah, Twilight probably of, ruined yeah, it. Mm-hmm. Of that is kind of these, like, team this or that, whereas... Hunger Games, I think with the books, there was less of that. But yeah. I think really kind of bringing it to the movies and wanting to create more of this market mm. for the movies, um, it, it really did kind of, the popularization created this um, dichotomy that mm. it had to be that it was all about the relationships. Yeah, they felt like they were not good at publicizing those movies. No, not at all. <laughs> it was like a parody to of itself. To the point where I don't think I even saw the last one. Yeah. Because I think I'd aged out of it a little bit, and I was mm-hmm. in undergrad, and I didn't have a car to drive to the movie theater, <laughs> and I just didn't go. I haven't seen any past the first. Wow. Well, because we were really excited to go see the first. I was in college. Yeah. It was a midnight showing. It was like a big deal. People were dressed like Katniss. And then yeah. after that, it was kind of like, eh. Because, yeah, at that point, I think it had gotten so diluted to, like, yeah. oh, it's just Katniss choosing between two boys and not, like, overthrowing this whole government. Yeah. And all of this tragedy and drama and... It was just, no, she can't pick Gale. But yeah, so within Young Adult, the, the specific um, mm-hmm. definition is kind of just the mashing of the definition of Young Adult right. and the mashing of romance. Mm-hmm. So it's the Young Adult romance literature is the genre of, of books written for teenagers. And then as defined by the romance writers of America, hey. a romance novel consists of a central love story and mm-hmm. an emotionally satisfying ending. So it's uh, kind of focused on romance, love, and relationships mm-hmm. like we talked about, which are really integral to a lot of adolescent stories. So I think that's a really good point because I've been reading some of the criticism for that new Pixar movie, the the panda right. thing. Yeah, and there's so that. many parents that are horrified that this that she's like got crushes and she's writing fan fiction and they think it's too mature. And I'm like, do you talk to your children? Spoiler, <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> So I actually think that's really important about young adult romance that, yeah, it's giving these kids kind of access to exploring these themes and exploring these kind of love stories and not an age appropriate way because I don't necessarily like the connotations of that anymore with the book banning sprees, but in a way where it's not them Googling at 3 a.m. certain terms. So yeah, go read To All the Boys I've Loved Before instead. Wattpad exists. They'll find it. Not Wattpad. No, I didn't do Wattpad because it didn't exist yet. Tumblr exists. Okay, a Tumblr, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Like, you guys would be lucky if all they're doing is watching Turning Red. (laughs) Get better blockers, I guess. Absolutely. Um, And, yeah, and similarly to YA, there is a a different timeline than we really think about it for, Mm -hmm. for YA romance. So I... I found that it was actually pretty popular in the 1950s and 60s, kind mm-hmm. of to what we were talking about with the, the as YA generally became popular, mm-hmm. so did YA romance, yeah. because it's, it's popular for mm-hmm. people. So just as we had the timeline of the YA genre, there was also a timeline of popularity for young adult romance. So it was very popular in the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. just as the, the YA genre itself was becoming more popular. Um and then more kind of realistic YA kind of replaced romance a bit in the popularity mm-hmm. in the 70s. But then it came right back in the 80s again. Um, and romance books started to trend towards these series rather than anthologies by individual authors. And that's kind of where we get a lot mm-hmm. of the books that are connected by one character kind of thing. I love those. Yeah, those are always <laughs> fun. And then as romance is a subgenre within young adult literature there are also subgenres within young adult romance so there's the contemporary ya romance which is a bit more realistic there's lgbtq plus and then there's also fantasy paranormal dystopian which can kind of be grouped together or Mm -hmm. separated out because they they have some overlapping things but also can be different and then this i found which i wasn't aware of it because it's just not kind of the circles i run in 
Um, and uh, evangelical YA romance. Oh, books, yeah, that's a big not, one. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. something I really was even aware of. Um, but yeah, they're very yeah. specifically published by Christian presses, sold at mm-hmm. Christian bookstores for a Christian young adult audience. So that just wasn't a genre that I was aware of, but that totally makes sense. It makes so much sense. After yeah. we had our old Amish episode, we found out about Christian publishing. And yeah, of course, they're going to try to do that for YA too. Yeah, Actually, absolutely. now that you say that, there are Amish young adult romances oh, there you yeah. go. and like young adult series and the beverly lewis actually writes children's yeah. books too and she oh. she's got like a whole range of stuff yeah. that makes total sense to me and you know i think i read one once actually like she had bone cancer like it's all coming back to me now that you're talking <laughs> yeah it was like an evangelical she had bone cancer she needed to like accept god into her life to get the boy and her bones back okay yeah <laughs> and then as we've kind of gotten to the the late aughts the 2010s we we've seen a real rise in YA romance especially mm. with a lot of a lot of the books that we've uh, come to know and love you can't talk about uh, YA romance without talking about the Twilight Saga. Oh, can't we? <laughs> you really can't, though. I know. We have and to. I know. I, I loved Twilight. Like I said, I, I was in yeah. middle school when it came out. It was just so right there for me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to say the. St- it's hard to say, like, what is the start of mm-hmm. all of it in mainstream media. But, like, it kind of feels like Twilight really was the, like, it was at least something. the reawakening. It was like the spark. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of started this whole thing of, of more the paranormal romances and the dystopian and fantasy. If you kind of lump all those together, we have all the dystopian literature, the mm-hmm. Hunger Games, Divergent, mm-hmm. those kind of books. Um, it's weird how it all leads to one another. It does. And Mm -hmm. then people really kind of started to like inspired by. Yeah, I was trying to find a nicer word. It's okay. There were a lot of copycats. There were a ton of copycats, especially of Hunger Games. I mean, Divergent was definitely a Hunger Games copycat, but it just like kind of Harry Potter ish Mm because like the four kind of groupings, things like that. Um, But that one just kind of permeated the, Mm -hmm. the oversaturation, I suppose. Um, and then we have a lot of other books like The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Mm. That book was huge. I loved John Green in general. Yeah. Um, but that kind of also led to this sub, sub, sub genre, <laughs> I suppose, that it makes me think of, which is kind of the, the sick girl genre, yeah. like sick lit. There was a lot of, dis- I almost said dessert. <laughs> there was a lot of disease stuff for a while. Yeah. So like when I was looking through that, there was like Me Girl and The Dying Girl, which mm-hmm. I think came around, came out. Around the same time as Tiffio's, but then there was Everything, Everything, Midnight Sun, mm-hmm. Five Feet Apart. So all these different different books that were about usually a young woman mm-hmm. who was sick for whatever reason. They're kind of over navigating young adult romance while also dealing with illness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Tiffio's was definitely not the first cichlet by any means. There were, there were ones pre that, like A Walk mm-hmm. to Remember, things like that. Oh like, yeah, Walk to Remember was... I was about to say it was amazing, but actually the movie was amazing. The book sucked. Oh, did it? See, I've never read it. The book was really bad. But I'm not a Nicholas Sparks fan. Uh, I don't think I even knew it was Nicholas Sparks. Well, I'm really happy the spark never lit for you because it (laughs) was bad. (laughs) I got him again. Yeah, I've never read any Nicholas Sparks. It feels like it's been for the best. It feels like it's worked out for me. But yeah, like that was like 1999. Mm -hmm. So that was a a really early example of that. So what is it about The Fault in Our Stars you thought that really captured people? Because I remember how insane people were about that book. And it was fine. Like I liked it. But I remember the merch. I remember the obsession with people being like, okay, "Uh, okay. (laughs) Or like. The stupid c- cigarette thing. Yeah. About having the thing between your teeth that'll kill you yeah, and not, not the letting power. it do the killing. Yeah. yeah. Like, what was it about that book? I'm like, I look at some of these things this. and I'm like, you know, really, what was it about Twilight? What was it about Fallen in Our Stars? The only one I get is Hunger Games because I think it had such a strong message and it had so many beautiful details and world building. And I know people hate it, but like, it, it made the point when Prim died. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hate so much that it got wrapped up in, like, ooh, she's got to choose between a boy, when really she sacrificed everything to save her yeah. sister, and in the end, it still died. Yeah. And then we got Fallen Our Stars, and I'm like, it's a really good book, but yeah. I don't, do you do either of you guys have any ideas for why that one was such a, like, <gasps> a force? I don't know. I, I loved John Green, mm-hmm. and so I think all of his books are, really do speak to the YA audience and, like, YA yeah. romance, so I think they all are good books, but... Yeah, there was something about the cichlet and mm-hmm. with the 
Do you think his reputation had something to do with it? Because for a really long time, he was super involved on Tumblr, and he very yeah. much felt like he was talking to teens. I think it was part of it, like the YouTube channel. Yeah, like the with the Vlogbrothers. Yep, Vlogbrothers. I think that could be part of it. I wonder, too, how much of it was, like, the Tumblr era, now that you've oh, said that. Yeah. Because that was, like, right when Tumblr... Super Hulock. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> Thank you! When Tumblr really started kicking in was right when The Fault in Our Stars mm-hmm. came out. Yeah. And that was... Those were the type of... I hate to say those were the type of girls, but those were the type of girls and readers that were on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Was, and maybe that, yeah, same. <laughs> we raised so, our hands. Yes. So maybe that, maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. That's a really good example. That's a good point. He was, you could like talk to John Green on Tumblr or like have about see that. stuff. Fishing boat proceeds. Yeah. I believe that was his Tumblr yeah. handle. Until we chased him off. Yeah. We were mean <laughs> to him. Mess. And now he's basically a pariah. I know. He doesn't come out in public anymore. Well, they still do Vlogbrothers, and they have a podcast. A little bit, but it's not like it was. Like, John Green really felt like he took a step back after no, all that. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the way people make fun of Lin- Man- um, Manuel Lin- Miranda. Yeah, like, yeah, just like some of these older stars have really kind of tarnished for some reason. I think it's just a counterculture thing. Mm-hmm. I think, especially, like, I'm a, I'm a big Broadway person, too, so I, I love Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can love something while also critiquing it and having... Yeah. I, I think... Things don't have to always be a dichotomy of love or hate. I right. think you can under like love something and understand the faults in it without mm-hmm. like canceling a person who's very good at writing music. Like the fault in our, our stars. stars. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know quite what it was, mm-hmm. but it after- feels it feels like it was a special time because we was. we really haven't had a a thing like that since nope I don't know how to define it other than a thing because we've had popular stuff yeah and um, I know you've got a whole list of them but like there hasn't been anything like that sensation of fault in our stars since. when I was looking at things and it really grouped together kind of fault in our stars twilight mm-hmm. and hunger games and all like the dystopian literature mm-hmm. um it called it a craze the YA craze oh. was, was often the the term used in in a lot of the articles that I was reading mm-hmm. so yeah the YA craze but Man, yeah we do have <laughs> Oh, gosh. We do have some newer books that are kind of permeating, like yeah. you've said, to all the boys I love before. That one's awesome. The Netflix series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that trilogy. And love then trilogy. kind of more within that fantasy, the, the Grishaverse, mm-hmm. Shadow and Bones, Le Bardugo, which I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read within like a week. <laughs> do, you think, do you think some of it is just because Hollywood has changed so much? We don't have these big giant blockbusters. So now, like the, the last two yeah. series, like maybe if they'd been in a movie yeah. on a, in a traditional screening, it'd be different. But now it's like you stream it whenever you want to. Yeah, I don't know. I if when, that's a difference. When I was going through this list and kind of looking at why romance and mainstream media often, they mm-hmm. have film or TV adaptations, which yeah. is interesting. And it's interesting which precedes the other. Like mm-hmm. did the book become so popular that it got an adaptation or was it something that was more plucked to adapt and that kind of made it more popular? Cause I hadn't heard of, I mean, people who are maybe more involved in why it had, but I wasn't, I hadn't heard of to all the boys I loved before, before I saw the Netflix series. I have theories. Oh yes. <laughs> At least when it comes to like fantasy. Yeah. As a book talker, I obviously have like become very enmeshed within those fantasy communities. And with shadow and bone, I think it was a case of it got so popular because of the TV show. So it was super niche and it yeah. was very popular when it first came out and then it kind of just like died back. And then she got the Netflix, she being Lee Bardugo, got the Netflix deal and that was just so gorgeous. Yeah. Ben Barnes ben was so Barnes. beautiful as the Darkling, who is a very bad character. Oh. <laughs> but he, oh, that just kind of like, yeah, Tumblr didn't care. <laughs> Fanfic doesn't care. <laughs> that it just kind of like kicked off this obsession. Yeah. But then I look at Akatar, which we were talking about before we were recording. Yeah. And that series is insanely popular within a large variety of like fantasy romance, fantasy yeah. book community. And there's a lot of problems with that too, but there's no adaptation. No. Yet. <laughs> um, but she has apparently signed a deal with Hulu. Oh. And they are in production. There you but go. But they were also in production for her old Throne of Glass series. Oh, and it never happened. Oh. So we'll see if it actually happens. But I think it depends on the series and depends on the author. Yeah. And maybe the communities too. I think book talk is changing a lot of things. I really Absolutely. do. Absolutely. I agree with that. Ice Planet Barbarians is next, right? <laughs> Probably shouldn't bring him up though during a YA podcast. <laughs> that one. That one. Okay. I, I don't want to talk about age appropriateness, but that one. No. <laughs> but yeah, think, talking about like the Netflix series and streaming, I was looking at kind of YA fantasy novels that are currently being adapted are, are in that list and 
well, I guess to go to a previous one, like Cassandra Clare's like Mortal Instruments, mm-hmm. that was the Freeform show, which was they did a terrible job with the movie and with the TV. Oh, yeah, oh, really? there, I forgot there was a movie. You're so right, bad. there was a really bad movie. Um, as well and so like that was really popular as well uh, but I was looking up some things and I found an article that talked about some upcoming series and there's yeah the selection is apparently getting a Netflix movie why now I, I don't know That's I so weird. think because of oh, book really? talk okay. and, and shadow and so bone old. and Netflix is plucking okay. these things yeah huh. uh the Red Queen is apparently getting okay. a, a one, TV okay. series at NBC so for like Peacock or whatever it's just so interesting they're picking like it's like 10 years old isn't it but they're the really popular ones yeah. that are still really popular on Tumblr and BookTok mm-hmm. and things like those are the ones that have like stuck around um The Wicked Deep which I hadn't heard before is apparently uh, being adapted as a Netflix movie okay um and then Children of Blood and Bone oh well that one okay yeah had been picked up by Fox but Disney is after the merger, is deciding to still stick with it for a film adaptation. What if Disney will tell a good story of that one? I don't know. So uh, I, I guess you've, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but mm-hmm. what was it about those, these all these novels back in the, the 2010s that kind of yeah. precipitated this YA dystopian or just YA romance mm-hmm. craze? Um, I wonder, too, if we can talk about these becoming so popular because again of twilight like yeah. we saw how rabid fans went for the movies even though we can all objectively say now that they're terrible <laughs> um at, but we're we still like went rabid we were there at midnight like mm-hmm. we made our own fan movies about <laughs> i still think about that but then like m- maybe it took a couple years to realize it but now netflix and all these other places are realizing hey if we do these good adaptations we can really we can make bank and we yeah. can like capitalism we can profit off of it for forever young adults are very um oh god what's the word like loyal to the loyal but also rabid passionate passionate yes enthusiastic yeah Yeah. yes enthusiastic yeah YA readers are so enthusiastic about the things that's why they have tumblers dedicated Mm -hmm. to their favorite series or their favorite character or things like that so yeah they're they're very loyal to the Mm -hmm. the series or, or books that they're they love and so I think it is a really good way to to make money unfortunately to market off of them because they are so passionate about these things um but yeah I think one of the reasons that it kind of permeated into mainstream audiences especially like the YA dystopian phase I found an article talking about it being born out of cynicism oh and anxiety post 9-11 yeah it's always it always comes back to 9-11 on this podcast it always does which is a really interesting thing that I had not thought about obviously Mm -hmm. because I was like it was in middle school when mm-hmm. I was happening, so I I was noticing these changes in the world, but I was not an adult in the same way to kind of see those things happening. Um, but yeah, there was really a cultivated distrust for the government, like mm-hmm. things like the Patriot Act and things like that, which is really weird to be linking like YA yeah. romance genre to the Patriot Act. I, but there you go. That makes so much sense though, because kids really aren't stupid. Yeah, I think probably now even more than then, they're very plugged into the news. They see what's going on. When I read Hunger Games, it very much felt like a lot of the quiet parts were said out loud yeah. and it was kind of a lot of the things that I had been nervous about with the government and with like society and, and a lot of these feelings I'd been having like put into the worst case scenario and like, you yeah. know, I can actually kind of see some of this happening. Maybe not all of it, maybe not like the crazy stadium of, of children killing children, but these districts and like this breakdown of society and the 1% becoming like the 1% of the 1% of the 1% and everybody else just fending for themselves. I mean, here we are. I think too that Hunger Games for the first time for me, we're getting really morbid here, was the first time I ever thought about the United States ending. Because, like, when it came out that Pan Am, it wasn't obvious for me. I'm sorry if it was for other people. When it came out that that was America, like, what, 300 years in the future or something like that, and then that it was the states broken down and Washington, D.C. is district whatever, I was like, oh, it's it could happen. And, like, we're quite honestly getting closer every day as we get there. And I think that... Maybe that fear – we talk about Gen Z these days being, like like Jen said, the most plugged in, the most – like some of the biggest activists coming out of Gen Z and these younger generations. And they are smart. They are realizing. And as much as we read romance for escapism, I almost wonder how many people are reading YA and especially like YA dystopia and YA paranormal as a way of like reckoning what's going on in the world around them. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, and uh, – then kind of to go back to some stuff Jen you were saying about Hunger Games earlier the reason that a lot of it perhaps burned out is because of all the copycats and things that weren't 
handling it with the same nuance that yeah. the Hunger Games was, and it didn't have the same specificity, and it didn't have the same. It wasn't evolving. It wasn't mm-hmm. doing something different. It was taking the same kind of tr- generic tropes about oppression, but like, if people are just being oppressed to be oppressed, like mm-hmm. that's not like kids aren't like big. They, they're not yeah, dumb. Yeah, kids <laughs> can tell. So if it's just like, oh well, they have money and we don't, and so I don't know. I think like there's. Uglies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good example. And so, like, it's just the same kind of love triangles within these worlds that really aren't looked into other than, like, yeah. there's oppression, mm-hmm. which I think is a problem and kind of oversaturated the market in that way with, like, a lot of copycats that just weren't up to the same standard. And I feel like Hunger Games could be a mirror to us. Yeah. And then a lot of those copycats were just, like, really badly drawn ideas. Right. Like, they just didn't work. Or they tried to do something, like you were saying, and they just didn't do it quite as well as they could have with yeah. enough nuance like I mentioned um uglies I don't know if they could hear me on the mic but I mentioned uglies by Scott Westerfield which I really think was trying to be like a parody and, and, and a discussion of like beauty and how we observe beauty and that was like America's Next Top Model generation um but it just it failed where I think Hunger Games succeeded some of them are just so cynical too yeah. like they clearly just saw the success of Hunger Games and didn't think too deeply about it they were like all right Bad government, love triangle, yeah, money. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, they mm-hmm. just saw dollar signs. Um, but that that's a really good segue into kind of another area, which is like, why do adults read YA? Because one of the reasons that come up so often is is not the cynicism; it's mm-hmm. the hopefulness yeah. that a lot of those books take towards. So it's like, sure, like the Hunger Games is it is terrible. There's mm-hmm. a lot that's going through, but Katniss does like end with hope, and she does yeah. kind of rebuild, and there is this. Mm-hmm. There is this light to it that I think some maybe more adult fantasy and things like that don't always have. Mm-hmm. And so to go back to that stat and just to cite it, um, a Publishers Weekly article from 2012 claims that more than 55% of YA is read by adults. And so even though YA was originally created to fill this gap of these not quite children, not quite mm-hmm. adults, and, and for their reading habits, it also seems to be filling this gap for other adults that other Mm. genres aren't, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, So I found a really long research article, which was really great. It was like 60 pages called Why Do Adults Read Young Adult Books? And it was researched by Monica Hay at Portland State University. And it was a survey of readers. And a lot of the common reasons that people mentioned were the influence of Harry Potter and Twilight, Mm. uh, the relatability for millennials, social media presence of YA online. So talking about book talk and things and being able to talk about these books with people. Um, And also the success of women writers in the category. Oh, that's true. Like romance is often read by women and women Mm. like to read books written by women. A concept. Yeah. (laughs) A concept. Um, So that was a lot of the reasons people gave. And then a lot of the themes were themes we've been talking Mm. about a lot here. Nostalgia, less pretentious, they're faster Mm. reads, diversity, escapism, less graphic. And then they they say, most importantly, hopeful, which Mm. is a really interesting thing that we were talking about. Yeah. I don't know. What are some of the reasons like you guys have read YA as adults? I think a lot of those reasons once in a while, uh, it's definitely the story like really got obsessed with the plot and really wanted to know more. So I, I don't read as much YA as I used to, but the ones I do are mostly fantasy or there's space. And I really think it's because I do read so much romance and I do read so much like graphic romance or like graphic fantasy outside of romance that it's nice to take a step back and kind of like kind of dial back everything to where it's not about, it's not just about the relationship, but there is a relationship involved or it's not just about like the sex or anything like that. It does. Maybe a palate cleanser is a good way of putting it. Um, I hate to say it's an easier read because a lot of times YA isn't an easier read, but it's almost like it's easier to digest. It's easier for my brain to focus on. A lot of my audiobooks are YA. Yeah. Also, they have a lot of better narrators for YA audiobooks sometimes than adult. So I don't know. It's just, it's easier to digest, I think, is the best reason for me that I still read them. That's a good point because sometimes it feels like when I read an adult book, no no shame to literary fiction but sometimes it's like they're writing to hear themselves talk (laughs) it's just way over the top and I'm like I get it you're very smart you went to Harvard good job I think YA lacks a lot of that kind of pretentiousness and a lot of that that frill sometimes and sometimes the language is still so beautiful yeah so no definitely less pretentiousness yada yada I think one thing I also really love 
YA just feels like it's always on the forefront of a bunch of new trends. And I really appreciate the YA community. It feels like they care so much more about things like progressivism, diversity, inclusion, more so than any other genre. And just as a librarian, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think that's great. And that's something else that I also looked into Mm -hmm. uh, the representation that we see in YA romance. So in recent years, we're seeing a lot more diversity present in YA literature in general, but also in YA romance. And so we're seeing diversity in race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, etc. And a lot of this is because of like, those are the kind of books that Gen Mm -hmm. Z and these younger generations are wanting to read. And we're seeing that on book talk and, and things like that. And then there are also movements that are that are coming about that are promoting these, this diversity. So we're seeing organizations such as We Need Diverse Books, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and YA literature. And so this actually developed out of a hashtag. So it, yep. it came from social media, hashtag We Need Diverse Books, uh, which developed from Ellen O and mm-hmm. Melinda Lowe. And they had this online movement that they then took and created into mm-hmm. a non-for-profit organization. And their mission is putting more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children. And they provide support and funding and programming for this mission. So they they have mentorships. They have emergency funds for authors. They have grants for publishing interns. They have awards that they provide. Uh, they have anthologies that they write. And they have resources, resources for people to find diverse books mm-hmm. if they go to their website. So that's a kind of um, support in an organization mm-hmm. that is really trying to push diversity forward in an industry that has not been the most diverse (laughs) i feel like the community around ya has really forced publishers to respect that i think so i mean you can make an argument sometimes they go too far sometimes it's more like mob rule i don't know if we want to get into that but they have definitely forced publishers to take them seriously and to either withdraw books that do not meet their standards or to do the extra legwork to make sure that they are accurate to everybody what you said maddie made me think of so if we're talking about the like the tension, the strife between these younger readers and then these older publishers, people who are adjudicating what's in our libraries, if that has to do with one of the larger reasons behind current book bans. So uh, readers, these younger readers who are wanting more diverse books, who are looking more beyond like typical like literature and beyond what typically has been represented, in tension against these older like readers, adjudicators, um, district leaders, whatever, who haven't seen that. And I know that there's a lot more like morality and the belief systems and all that sort of stuff that goes into it. But I really feel like maybe that's some of the tension that goes behind it. I don't know. I think that's too small of a viewpoint of what, because like when you actually look at the breakdown, it is a lot of right wing organizations that are deliberately funding a lot of this kind of opposition and it's for these bigger culture war issues like one of the guys who I can't think of his name right now hopefully I'll send it to you in the show notes but one of the guys who's like really behind a lot of these book ban CRT kind of fear-mongering is he wants to divert tax dollars from public schools to more charter schools and more school choice it is like it is these much long larger pieces yeah and I think it's kind of in response to kind of everything that's changing in society these parents are like really clinging for any kind of control that they can get yeah, I've definitely viewed it as like the culture war. Yeah, like so I don't think it's like that thing. little bitty. It's like yeah. such a tiny. But I think shot. that's part of it. I think that does feed yeah. from it. But I mm-hmm. think if you want to look holistically, it yeah. kind of has more of. Um, I mean, if we do kind of want to think about what you're saying, sometimes adults get so affronted when they are corrected by children. <laughs> I wonder if some of it is like kind of like a principled like, well, don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me that. I have been reading this wrong this whole time. I think some people get very touchy about that. So maybe there is a sense of like, well, there's all these young kids online that are like, no, you can't write that book because it's not, you know, accurate to the story's representation. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm fine. I didn't do this maliciously. I'm going to go harder now. Like, I wonder if there's like a little bit of pushback just of like protecting their own ego. So if we're going to like lean into your idea, maybe I could see that sense, especially like you don't want to be told that you're wrong by a young kid. Like anybody, anybody who is younger than me is automatically wrong in Mother my, knows best. yeah, exactly. No, I, any, just, I don't want to be corrected by some young kid. Like I, I'm like, no, I'm going to go out of my way to figure out how you're wrong. And if you're like telling me the sky is blue and I think it's green, I'm like, no, it's green. And that's just my own ego. So I can see that. It's not raging romantics for nothing. There you go. But yeah, so 
like we've said, the increased diversity is good. The diversity in YA mm-hmm. is really great, uh, but publishing itself has a really long way to go. Um, I found some 2018 statistics from a Guardian article that talked about um, YA actually becoming less diverse in mm-hmm. some UK like study that they found. White female authors dominated the young adult market mm-hmm. between 2006 and 2016, mm-hmm. uh, which accounts for 59% of all titles, which is really great, but... I mean, great that it's women, but, like, not great that, like, that's most of... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very white <laughs> authorship. Um, and they're seeing a decrease from previous years um, in, in 2016 mm. of, of BIPOC authors. So. I think you got to be careful because the same gatekeepers are, are still there. And if you're not yeah. pushing, if, they're, if they can get away with it, they're going to go back to the way things are. Yeah, you, you need BIPOC people and people of minorities in kind of every step of the process yeah. for there to actually be mm-hmm. like systemic change in an industry like that. If there are still people at the top that think that the stories that they relate to are the stories that need to be told, you're not going to see change. And I think we as consumers and we as people who are like actively voicing opinions about books really need to make sure that we are hyping up not only these authors, but other like I think of creators on BookTok who are consistently talking like about these minority voices. So there's the Asian librarian who only talks about Southeastern Asian books. There's, I can't remember her name, but she only focuses on Jewish sapphic books. Mm-hmm. She's like, her favorite book is The Wolf and the Woodsman, which is a really amazing book. Um, but I think that we also need to make sure that we as white women in this room yes. um, need to make sure that we continue to actively say that we want to read these diverse books that we continue to actively buy and disseminate them and yes like Jen said we need to make sure that we aren't you know saying that no we don't want to read books by white women because we still want to read some books by some white women just we need to make sure we're amplifying other voices too yeah I was thinking not J.K. Rowling yeah I know (laughs) well you just have to be careful because publishers absolutely want to go back to what is easy to them and like this is a lot of work for them, so you gotta keep their feet to the fire. This makes me think of the hashtag publishing paid me on Twitter, where authors were sharing how much they were paid by publishers for their books, and you were seeing significantly women, especially women of color, and authors of color were being paid less for their work, and we were definitely seeing that across the YA genre as well. So I think that was showing that even though we're having these more diverse stories and we're seeing these these real strides forward in representation in YA literature, we're not seeing that on the back end where the creators and the authors of those work are being Mm -hmm. compensated as much as as their white Mm -hmm. counterparts. So we got to keep working to make sure that this does not become a trend and it is a way forward forever for everybody. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, that was an amazing first episode of our look into YA romance. We hope you guys join us again next time when we continue with a look at more of our favorite YA romance and the tropes that make them so popular. Jen, what do we always say? Rejoice! <laughs>